0: I didn't really think about the fact that I wasn't going to go back down there once I came up here. So, We're going to turn our attention to the Word of God now because I think that's an important thing for us to do on Sunday mornings when we gather to worship. And I hope you have a Bible with you if you're here to worship with us. Uh, If you are able to do so, I invite you to turn uh, in the Bible to the book of Ephesians. Uh, if those of you that are visiting with us today uh, probably are not aware of this, but we are actually just in the middle of uh, moving through the uh, book of Ephesians on Sunday mornings. I'm teaching through the book, uh, just taking uh, a chunk of verses at a time. And I debated doing a specific message uh, for our baby dedication or for some other purpose. And I uh, thought, you know, really, I think we can make the text work this morning. Uh, and I was, again, as I mentioned earlier, just pleased with uh, how the Lord arranges things when we come. I don't plan these things. Uh, I'm never sure exactly which day we're going to start or how many times, how many Sundays it's going to take us to get through things. And uh, as I was thinking of these uh, verses, I was thinking of our international students with us. I was thinking of our baby dedication. I thought, uh, you know, these are just uh, really good verses for us this morning that uh, can find application. So I would invite you this morning, Ephesians chapter 2 is where we're going to be. We're going to Uh, read through the text, and I'm going to pause for prayer after we read through the text so we can ask the Lord uh, to teach us. Ephesians chapter 2, we're going to read this morning starting in verse 11. We covered the first 10 verses of chapter 2 in the last uh, prior several weeks here. We're going to start in verse 11, and we're going to read through verse 18. That's how far we're going to read. Follow along carefully in your word uh, in front of you as I read for you out loud here. Paul is writing to the believers who live in this city called Ephesus, and he says this in verse 11 of Ephesians chapter 2. Therefore, remember that at one time, you Gentiles in the flesh, called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands, remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now Christ Jesus, you who... thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. Lord God, we believe your word has been given to us to teach us and instruct us. It is inspired by you and it is uh, right. and contains truth for us. It contains life for us. It points us to you, who you are, what you've done for us, who we are, and what you want from us. And so we want to submit ourselves to your word this morning. We want your Holy Spirit to teach us. I thank you that you do so. I thank you that you do so through my mouth as you, as you see fit, but I thank you that you would give instruction to any and all of us as we are tuned to you and listening to you. Would you break the bread now for us that we may eat of the food that is spiritual and feeds our souls and nourishes us with true sustenance, true life. God, we thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. I've entitled my message this morning, Christ is Our Peace. It comes right out of the text. And I want to just make sure, as we pull back in where we were at the last couple of weeks, I want to make sure that we know why we're showing up today where we're showing up. So we're showing up where Paul is going to talk about some things that are very specific to his his time his era. He begins to speak of this thing of circumcision and uncircumcision, of Jews and Gentiles, which, let me just up front, by the way, say uh, the word Gentiles in Scripture, the Greek word Gentiles in Scripture is simply the word ethnos, ethnos, which means others. It's, of course, where we get the English word ethnicity. Uh, so it just means other people. It, it, it's it's the referring to all the other people that are not Jewish, But he's speaking of some very specific things, but the reason he's speaking of them is because we've just come through some really, uh, and not all of you here for this, but we've just come through some really fantastic teaching from Ephesians. He told us the blessings we have in Jesus Christ, redemption of our sins, uh, that we are part of the body of Christ, that we have an inheritance waiting for us, that we are sealed through the Holy Spirit. He just came through the last section we read in Ephesians chapter 2, the first 10 verses. Incredible things about who we once were and who we now are in Christ Jesus, that we were dead in the trespasses and sins in which we once walked. We were following the world and doing all those things, but God, because of the great love with which he loved us, he made us alive together with Christ it's by grace we've been saved you know these verses right it's by grace we've been saved he raised us up with Christ and he seated us with him in the heavenly places all so that he could put his glory on display there's a little bit of my paraphrase at the end but here's the thing even when you can learn about all the great things that God has done and how incredible the grace is that he has offered to us you might still find yourself in a place where you think some people qualify and some people don't Some people are in, and some people are out. Some people are worthy of what God has done, or are the ones that God is really interested in, and some people are the castaways. And to our great discredit as human beings, we have done much to advocate that way of thinking, have we not? Where some are in and some are out. Where status, or class, or wealth, or bloodline, or ethnicity, or whatever you want to call it, whatever the dividing line is, where some belong and some don't. And our text this morning, what Paul has really actually been building to, as he walks us through all the incredible blessings we have in Jesus Christ, the amazing grace that he's brought to us, all of that is leading to what this is now going to be ta- saying to us, where he says, I want you to know that if you think there's any division in Christ, I want you to know that that's False that that has been obliterated. The dividing line between us has been removed in Jesus Christ. And this is a message that I don't have to tell you if you live here in the United States, which it turns out that all of you currently are living here in the United States, so it's a good place to say this. I don't have to tell you we need a message like this. Like we need to understand this text. We face, I don't know, I've not been alive, you know, for decades and centuries, but we face a great amount of division, and some say perhaps more than we've ever faced in our country. I don't know if that's entirely true. I think there's several other really big divides that our country has faced. But we're certainly in the middle of one now. I've said this through and through, and I'm going to just make one final statement here about this. Um... That's certainly true out there, but when we are here sitting in a church service this morning, the text for me speaks to us who are believers, who are called by Jesus' name. In some sense, the world that is unsaved, that does not know Jesus and does not follow Jesus, that does not know Christ as our peace, we can expect that they will be divided and angry and Uh, Make make separations. say, we're here and you're here, or this way or that way, or we're in, you're out. But among those who name Jesus, it ought not to be so. And perhaps one of the most troubling things to me from the last two years in our country has been how we as believers have become thoroughly divisive, thoroughly okay with being divisive. And I want to be careful how I say that because I recognize that uh, the wisdom of God makes separations. It does, between those who have trusted in God and do things his way and those who have trusted in themselves and do things their way. I'm I'm not quibbling with that. But I'm not sure those are the divisions we're making. I'm not sure we're making divisions based on that. As a longer introduction than I should have done, wanted to do. It's the text that should speak to us That Paul is telling us that Christ is our peace. But I want to start with verse 13. I want to make a couple of major uh, sort of main points out of the text. I want to start with verse 13. Because in verse 13, he says, but now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near. But when we read the but now, we have to recognize that we have to read the verses that come before that, right? Those who used to be far off are now brought near by the blood of Jesus Christ. But that means some used to be far off. And he says that in the verse just before that. And I, I, it, the point I want to make is in this verse, that those who were far off have now been brought near through the blood of Jesus Christ. Because that's the point Paul wants to make in his text. But in order to understand how incredible it is, or how, how, what, what, what beauty there is in, that, in this verse, we have to understand the verse that comes before. Which he says, you should call to mind, remember, you should call to the mind, that you were at that time, at some point in time, you were separated from Christ. You were alienated you were not part of the commonwealth of Israel. You were strangers to the covenants of promise that God had made with the Israelites. That's all true, right? Because in the Old Testament, we read how God spoke through a man named Abram. He became Abraham. He established a covenant with them. And they were called his people. And he, out of Israel, he brought salvation. There's, there's, there's nothing else we can say about that. That's true. Out of Israel, he brought salvation. But he did not bring salvation only for Israel. And that's what this text is about to tell us. They were at one time. We were at one time. By the way, I mean, I, I, I hope you understand this. For pretty much every single person in this room this morning, we, are, we should be very, very grateful that these verses are in the scriptures because we are the ones that were in the outcast. I mean, unless there's people here who are Jewish, none of us were part of, were, were part of the commonwealth of Israel or were part of the covenant that God had made until Jesus came along. But what I want to really drive us at is that we understand That when we were in that place, we had no hope and we were without God in the world. That is the place where all who have not yet received or acknowledged Jesus as their Savior and Lord, that is the place where all find themselves without hope and without God in the world. Jesus said he's the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father through him. So... When he says that, he is the access to God, the Almighty. And when, uh, when we don't have him, then we are not yet there. We are without hope and without God in the world. And it's okay. In fact, it's good for us to acknowledge that when we can go to the very next verse that I had up there, up there first. Because now in Christ Jesus, those who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Let me just read a bit from Scripture to get us to see what God had in mind. I'm actually going to go back to the Old Testament to tell you, because God had established a covenant with the people of Israel, but he was interested in establishing a different covenant. In the prophet Jeremiah, uh, from his writings, we read these words. This is Jeremiah 31, verses 31 to 34. Jeremiah is speaking, but God is speaking through him. He's speaking to the people of Israel. And I will write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest. Did you catch what he just says there? From the least of them to the greatest. There's no more distinction being made. It's not that some will know and others won't know and have to be told. It's that all have access to know. He goes on to say, For I will forgive their iniquity, and I will remember their sin no more. God says, I'm going to make a different covenant than what I made before. The original covenant was, I will be your God. And this is just a summary. It's probably not all the points even. I will be their God. You'll be my people. I'll bring you in this land. I'll establish you. And through you, I will bless all the nations. And now he says, I'm interested in something different. You broke that covenant, by the way. Israel did. They broke that covenant. But God said, I have a new covenant in mind. I no longer want outside rules and regulations that you have to follow to be right with me or to belong to me. I will put my laws inside. Now notice I did not say that there's no more rules to follow. What I said is that God said I will make a covenant that the rules will no longer be on the outside and you have to be forced from the outside to follow them. He said I will put them inside of you and you will want to do what I ask you to do because of me inside of you. And part of the covenant was that I will forgive your iniquity and remember their sin what are the next two words? What does that mean when God says he will remember your sin no more? What does that mean? It's gone, right? It's finished. I will remember it no more. It's out of my mind. It's as if they didn't happen. This is the covenant that God said he wants to make. Now that was long before it ever happened because he was still pointing forward to Jesus. I want to go now on the other side of Jesus And I want to read from the book of Romans where we see the fulfillment of God's covenant. His second covenant. Or we might say uh, the New Testament. The New Testament he made with us. The new covenant he made with us. Romans chapter 5 says this, starting in verse 6. For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person. You see how this covenant is different. It is no longer follow my rules, do these sacrifices, obey the sign of circumcision. I'm going to have to come back to this in a little bit. So obey, excuse me, the sign of circumcision that you belong. That's an outward thing. No longer is it that. But I will put my law inside of you and you obey and I will forgive your iniquity. And he says when Jesus died on the cross for us, we were then reconciled with God. That was the moment it happened. And he goes on to say that, I just want to point out, he says, if it's true that we were reconciled when he died, how much more shall we have life when he comes back out of the grave and is alive again, Jesus? How much more should we have life? But now I want to turn to Jesus' own words because this brings us back to the subject at hand that Paul is talking to us from Ephesians chapter 2. Jesus said these words in John chapter 10. He's speaking to his followers, his disciples. John chapter 10, verse 7, he says, So Jesus uh, said, again, said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Now, he's using an analogy of being a sheep and shepherd. He's referring to people and himself. But he is the door that we go in and out of. And then he also says, I am the shepherd. And the good shepherd will lay down his life for the sheep. Jesus, here's what Jesus was doing in this text here. He is saying, you heard from Jeremiah that there is another covenant that God wants to make with this people. And that covenant will include the forgiveness of sins. He didn't know this. I mean, we didn't know this yet, but he said, you're going to read in Paul's words of how that happened, but I'm telling you, standing in front of you, Jesus was doing this, I'm telling you that I am that door, that I am that good shepherd, that I laid down my life for the sheep. I am the one that Paul said, how can it be that someone would die for other people when they are still wicked and sinners and evil and doing whatever they want to and thumbing their nose at God and saying, I don't believe in you, or I don't want to follow you, or I don't care about you. How is it that someone would die for us in that situation? Because that's exactly what happened, right? While we were still sinners. While we were still, we, we didn't clean ourselves up, but Christ died for us. And Jesus is standing in front of them saying, I am that one. But notice what he says just a few verses later. In John ten sixteen, he says this. As he's continuing this metaphor of sheep and shepherds. He says, and I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. Who was Jesus talking about? Who are the other sheep that are not of this fold? <laughs> Dear friends, it's us. That's us. That's all of those who did not name themselves Israelites or Jews. That's all of those who did not have the sign of circumcision. That's all of those who were not raised in the tradition of the Jewish people to know who God was and and to come to expect the Messiah. Maybe didn't even know about the Messiah, had never heard of him, had no idea about what God, who God was or what he was bringing about. People outside of that fold, that's us. And it's not just us, it's everyone else. It's why Paul says in Ephesians chapter 2 that Jesus Christ Though you once were far off, though you once were alienated, you were not part of the commonwealth. You were not in the kingdom of Israel. You were not circumcised. You did not have that work of the flesh. There was no outward sign. You thought you were on the outside, but in Jesus Christ, you have been brought near through his blood. Peace has been made, which is exactly what he says in verse 14. Paul says, for he himself, Jesus Christ himself, is our peace. Jesus is our peace. Now, I want to just quickly before we move on, I want to look at the word peace there. The Greek, well, I'm going to skip over that because I'm going to keep on going. The Greek word for peace is the word irane, which really means peace or prosperity or one or oneness or wholeness. But what I want to get us to is the root word behind that because uh, there's, that's actually based on another word. It's based on the word iro, which means to join, which is why you can say the other words, by the way. The idea of peace or shalom would be the Hebrew word for Isra- uh, if you were an Israelite. But the idea of peace is that you have been joined with God and when you are joined with God, you experience peace and prosperity. I think there's uh, not a religion in the world that doesn't teach, at least in some respect, that, uh, that you experience peace and prosperity when God shows his favor to you. And in the Christian teaching from our scriptures, peace has come through Jesus Christ because we have been joined with God. And in that sense comes our prosperity, our peace, our oneness, our wholeness. For Jesus himself is our peace. Now, I'm just going to be honest with you. Because of where we live and the culture we've grown up in and who we are or maybe who we're not, this kind of message or the things that Paul is sort of like saying over and over again is not, doesn't. It doesn't make us go, what? Or it doesn't catch us off guard, or it doesn't grab us, or it doesn't seem to be as big of a thing because we're not Jewish, and so we don't understand the clear distinction between those who are circumcised and those who are not circumcised. If I can ask of you, if I can ask of you that you simply understand that it was a clear division that they recognized that they should be separated from, and we're going to see a case in a little bit of just how separated they thought they should be, but that they, this was a major thing. When Paul begins to teach these kinds of things, they begin to say, how can this be? We have thought we're separated. We thought that we belong, and they don't belong, and now he's saying that Christ is our peace. There's no more wall of division. That's what he could, he says that wall has been broken down that divides us. That hostility between us, the, those commandments that separate us, that, that's been broken down and destroyed in Jesus Christ, for he himself is our peace. And it was a monumental thing. So perhaps if you could just think of the people that are the most different from you. The people that you most think, I belong and they don't. The ones that are most outside the fold, if you want to put it that way. The most alienated from who God is. Think of those people and recognize that Paul is telling us that in Jesus Christ, in him is our peace and that dividing wall has been torn down. That it is possible for us to be joined to have peace among each other. Now Paul makes, Paul goes to great lengths. This is the message he continues to bring over and over again as he travels through the world at that point and brings the gospel of peace to them over and over again let me give you a few examples now again he's going to use the frame of reference he has right in front of him which is circumcision or uncircumcision for example in Galatians 5 6 he says for in Christ Jesus neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything but only faith working through love so as we go through these I told you just think of the people that you think are the farthest away from God the, the, the most without God and think how can this be true or what does this have to say for us it is not whether we're this or this but in Christ Jesus, if, we, if faith is working out love, then we can be brought together. We can be at one. There's peace between us. I don't know if that made sense, what I, what I just said to you. But just as they could see, as he was asking them to see, that it doesn't matter if you're circumcised or not circumcised. What matters is that faith works through love. That's what we would say. We'd say, it doesn't matter if I am of this culture And they live on the other side of the globe and are of that culture. And from my perspective, far away from who I I know God to be. Faith working through love brings us together. He goes on to say, maybe it'll make more sense as we go. For neither circumcision counts for anything nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. There's the test. If there's a new creation, that's what makes us be together. Let me continue to go on. For we are the circumcision. What defines what the circumcision is, if you wanna use that example, we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. What I'm telling you is these are the litmus tests that we have for whether we can be one. We can be at peace with people when we see faith working through love, when we see new creations, when we see the Spirit of God being worshipped or worshipping through the Spirit of God, the glorying of Jesus Christ, and putting no confidence in the flesh. Anyone who fits these bills, we are at peace with. We ought to be at peace with. We are made one with them. That's what I'm saying. It's not whether they have the same color of skin or whether they come from the same family line or whether they have as much money as you or don't have as much money as you or whether they look like this or look like that. Or what, it doesn't, those, those markers are gone. What I'm telling you is there is a, a family or a, a race, if you want to call it that, or a kingdom that supersedes all other nationalities and kingdoms for those who are in Christ Jesus. Galatians 3.28 says, There's no Jew or Greek, there's neither slave nor free, there's no male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. This is how strongly Paul felt about this. Colossians 3.11, he says, Here there's no Greek or Jew, there's no circumcised or uncircumcised, there's no barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and in all. Maybe what I can tell us this morning is, Jesus matters a lot more than we think he does. He is what the Bible is about. He is what our faith is all about. He is the one who works our salvation. He is the one through whom we are made whole. In him we find peace. And in him, when he is present and when we are in him, there's peace. doesn't matter what other thing might divide us or what other other strata you might find. That is, by the way, exactly why Jesus said things like... um, uh, whoever doesn't uh, love me more than their father or mother is not worthy of following me, even to the depth of separating between families, fathers sons, daughters and mothers, because he recognized that there is a bond that runs superior or higher or stronger or deeper than even our blood and our family. It must be so. For we see in this text that Jesus had made peace, and he's made peace through his body, through his blood, by the way, last night, let me just say this again. I've said this before to, my, to the church people here, but let me just, just step out of my text here for a little bit. Last night with the international students, we watched a film. It was called The Son of God, and it was uh, about the life of Jesus. And if you know the life of Jesus, which if you're sitting here in church this morning, I expect you know the life of Jesus, you know that uh, it, 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 toward the end of, of, of his life here on earth, things weren't very pretty. And the, uh, the film... I pulled no punches as to what it was like for Jesus to be whipped and mistreated and beaten and cruelly punished with a crown of thorns and hung on a cross. And I find perhaps the greatest juxtaposition, if you know what that word is, the greatest conflict, the greatest Two things that are completely at odds are present. That in this morning's text, we we're reading how Jesus brought peace, oneness, wholeness, prosperity, brought peace through something as violent and bloody and awful as what he went through. It is completely, from my human perspective, nonsensical, which is why it is the beauty of what God does. You know, even thinking of the working of the peace that Jesus did through the breaking of his body and the shedding of his blood might be helpful as we go through these next couple of points that I want to make. Jesus brings peace. And the first thing that Paul talks about actually is peace among people. Jesus is our peace among people. He said that he did this through his body that he might create in himself one new man in place of two so making peace. Now in the example he's saying we had one man which the circumcised Jews and we had the other man who was all the uncircumcised ethnicities who were not Jews. But in Jesus Christ by his body being broken and the and 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 the blood flowing in him now those two have been joined together. He made one new man in place of two. Remember I think it was last week we talked about the Greek word katizō which means to create. For we are created, uh, we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus. That word means a, and it's not referring to original creation. It's referring to a recreation, a, a, a reconciliation, a, a re- renewal, or a redemption. Jesus owns us because he paid for us. He created us. And it's the exact same word right here. That Jesus, by his death on the cross, through the, uh, the blood of, of, of what was shed there, he created one new man in place of two. In other words, again, this is the creation of that, that bloodline that I said that is superior to all of the bloodlines. A class that is superior to all of the class. A nationality that is superior to all of the nationalities that binds people together. It does not matter if you are from Kyrgyzstan or from India or from China or from Taiwan or from Pakistan or from I don't know if I'm going to name all of them. Bangladesh. Tanzania. It does not matter where you are from. In Jesus Christ, when we are in Christ, one man has been created out of two. We are joined together. Christ is our peace. Let me bring it back to us sitting here, Americans in our church, this church right here, but in any church if you're here this morning. That may actually be a whole lot easier to think about other nationalities than it is to think about the people that you work with and interact with on a daily basis. I'm not saying there's no division between those who are in Christ and those who are not in Christ. There's a great division there. There's a gulf there. They ought to be. I'm saying we're drawing the lines in the wrong places many times. We're dividing over the wrong things many times. It brings to light a little different when you think of that word create and the creation of the unification of all those who are in Christ. It brings to mind that this verse and puts a different perspective on it. That if, we, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. You see, that's not just applied on an individual basis. That's applied on a group basis. We together, the body of Christ, is a new creation. We are joined in new ways that we were not joined before. I can tell you This is precisely what God had in mind and what God will work out because John, in his book called the Revelation, the last book of the Bible, he saw exactly what Paul is talking about here. Did he not? Let me just show you what he saw. Read a few verses. In Revelation chapter 7, verse 9 and 10. After this, John says, I looked and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from, where? Listen to the words. You can read them. Where were they from? from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes, with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. The reality will be true someday, where we will see and understand that in Christ Jesus, all of those boundaries, ethnicities, languages, nationalities, statuses and classes and those who have and those who don't have, those melt away when you are in Christ Jesus and they will stand around the throne worshiping him. It's a shame. It's a shame that we hold on so tightly to some things that we think are really important and miss out on the beauty and the benefit of the peace that is in Christ. But Paul was not done. In Christ is the peace that brings us together, makes us one. But there's a greater reality happening, too, because the very next verse, or the, as he's finishing that, actually finishing that sentence, in verse 16 in Ephesians chapter 2, is really that he might reconcile us both. Those who were near and those who were far off that have been brought together in Christ, but that he might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross thereby killing the hostility the ultimate reconciliation is that which is found with us and between god and between god and us if i get that said right sorry i stumbled on that the ultimate reconciliation is between us and our creator god for it is ultimately our sin that separated us from him it also separates us from each other which is why we need the peace of christ but it is ultimately between us and him and he's bringing that peace he's restoring that peace he's making us one with him again one of the my favorite stories in scripture comes from Acts chapter 10 because it's the illustration of this it's the story of Peter and Cornelius we don't have time to read it all this morning we'll go into depth if you want to know more about it or want to uh, study through it again read through Acts chapter 10 again Peter of course is a good Jew and he doesn't associate with those who are on the outside those who are different those who don't belong those who are far off as Paul would say he doesn't associate with them and by means of a vision, God shows him that that ought not to be so. And at the same time, he's working with this man named Cornelius, who is one of those who is far off. And he brings them together. And when they come together, Peter says these words. This is in uh, verse, verse uh, 28. He actually says these words. Now, th- think about this. Peter is walking into a centurion, a Roman soldier's house. A man of some influence. And he walks in, and the first thing he says to him, is he says, you know... It is unlawful for a Jew to, be, to associate with or visit anyone of another nation. You know I shouldn't be here. But he goes on to say this. But God has shown me that I should not call any person common or unclean. So when I was sent for, that's why I came. This is that dividing wall. We're reading a story or looking at a story. that is that dividing wall tumbling down between things that had previously separated people. He goes on to say, as he's beginning to speak to Peter, or Peter's beginning to speak to Cornelius, he says, as for the word that he sent to Israel, preaching good news of peace throughout, through Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all. He goes on to say, you know the things that happened here. I wanted to point that out because he uses those words. He's preaching the good news of peace. I don't know if he knew what words he was using or why, but I suppose he did because he's under the Holy Spirit's inspiration. But he said, I'm, he taught these things of peace. Jesus began to teach these things. He kept on speaking, and he said, he commanded us, Jesus commanded us now, to preach to the people and to testify that Jesus is the one appointed by God to be judge of the living and the dead. And to him, all prophets bear witness. Go way back. All the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. That's just Peter confirming what I just walked you through this morning, that God's covenant was the forgiveness of sins, and Jesus was the the one that he did that through his son. When he came, he was the one who worked the salvation, the forgiveness of sins. And the next thing that happens is unbelievable to Peter. Because as he's speaking to them about Jesus, it says the Holy Spirit came and fell on them and was exactly like what it, Peter and his friends had experienced uh, just before that, or, well, some time before that. The coming of the Holy Spirit, the speaking in tongues, and Peter, knowing, and I'm sure there was all this stuff going on inside of his head, like, I can't believe this, like, this can't be true. But Peter, knowing, he's, he's, he even says he says... Surely God, uh, uh, surely God is intending to save you as well. And can we stop from baptizing this? I should just read it. Can anyone withhold water from baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? Peter witnessed the tearing down of that wall between them. I'm telling you today is no different, that Christ is our peace, and he still intends to tear down walls between us. But who was the wall ultimately torn down between? What? Yeah, in the story of Peter and Cornelius, ultimately the wall that was torn down was between Cornelius and those with him and God. And in some sense, I think you and I should be like, we should, we should see it as a, how do I say this, as a no-brainer, as kind of a duh thing, that when God breaks down the barrier between people and himself, then there ought not to be any barrier between people and themselves, Right? if God saw fit to break that barrier down and receive them then why should I say no I don't and yet and yet there it is right we see it happening all around us make no mistake don't pretend any other way we have made a big mess of things in this realm often have we not have we not what do you think? Am I am I saying things that you don't agree with? Have we made a mess of this? <laughs> have we made distinctions where God has made none? He didn't sound very convinced. Only a few of you said yes. Have we made distinctions where God has not made distinctions? Yes, we have. I have. And God has had to correct me. And Paul, as he's working through this text in Ephesians and declaring this truth to them and helping them to see that in Christ is our peace, he is wrapping it up. He's actually, we're going to get to one more thing before we finish chapter two, but that's for next week. We're not going to get to this morning. But he's driving to that conclusion. And he says, for through him, through Jesus Christ, we both, or we all, you could actually say, have access in one spirit to the Father. Now, I want you just to notice before we make any other statement about this, I want you just to notice that uh, we have an incredibly uh, beautiful, clear statement of the Trinity here in this, text, in this one sentence. Through him, Jesus, we both have access, we all have access in one spirit, Holy Spirit, to the Father, to God our Father. They all work together like this. In Christ, through Jesus, I mean, through Jesus Christ, in the Holy Spirit, act, we have access to the Father. Again... I don't know if, they, if if it was understood, but in the film last night, and you know the story of the Gospels, when Jesus gave up his life, the temple and the curtain was torn, and access was granted to the Father. Now, I actually really want to, what I want to do with why I have this verse up here is, this is a truth. Paul is ending all of this whole, this, this whole argument, this whole thing. He's ending with this truth. You know, for all of Paul's eloquent sentences where he just keeps adding a comma and goes on and keeps adding a comma and goes on and keeps adding a comma and goes on and keeps adding a comma. comma. All of that he kind of shoves aside and he says, I'm going to come down to say this one succinct, easy to understand sentence. In Jesus Christ, we all have access in one spirit to the Father. I say that because we did a baby dedication up here and I tell you, And at some very basic level, that is exactly what, as parents, we are to be communicating to our children. That is exactly what we're communicating to them. That through Jesus Christ, all of us, doesn't matter the haves, the have-nots, this, that, this one, this one. Through Jesus, all of us have access in the Spirit, in one Holy Spirit, through just one Spirit, to the Father, our Creator. This is what we, this is what we are proclaiming. This is the gospel of the peace that we are proclaiming. But I want to make some application for us this morning, just make sure we understand very clearly what we should do with a text like this. Undoubtedly, number one, no question number one, every ear, please hear, every heart, please understand. The first response we are to have to a text that Jesus Christ is our peace and has broken down the wall of hostility between us and between us and God is that we ought to or are to or need to, we must make use of the access that we have to the one true God. We must allow that peace to be made. We must be at peace with our creator. That is the test that determines your eternal destiny. Are you at peace with your creator with the one true God. And if you were not, today it should change. It really should. Make use of the access that you have. I'm gonna do the next one before I read some scripture, but I wanna read some scripture about that because the next one fits right with it. The next one is that we are to exhort others who are within the body, who have made peace with God, to likewise remain at peace with him and with each other. We, this is the life of the church. So the first thing is that we ourselves should be made right with God. The second is that we are in the life of the church to exhort and encourage and help each other all to remain at peace, for it's so easy to walk back away from that. When I get hurt, when things don't go my way, when I, I don't understand, when something happens that just doesn't, doesn't go what I want or, or is painful, then, then I say I don't want to do that anymore. But to exhort and encourage each other, and I'm going to read from Hebrews just to say these same words, uh, Actually, I made these points based on this text, so I should have maybe read them the other way around. But I made the point first. I want you to see the, what's most important later, which is the words in Hebrews here. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 19. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching, the day referring to the return of Christ, of course. That's where I got these two points from. Our response first is that we should make use of the access we have to our Father. First of all, for salvation, but after that, that's not the last time, friends. That's not the last time we go and, and have access to our Father and spend time with the creator of the heavens and the earth, the one who is sovereign and mighty over everything the one who before me will stand someday. We go to him all the time, over and over again, for our help and our sustenance, to find grace to help us in time of need, as the writer of Hebrews says. And we are then likewise to exhort each other to remain at peace with God and with each other. It is okay in humility, when those, when something is uh, obvious to us that people are divided, it is okay for us in humility To encourage them gently from the Word of God to say, Christ is our peace and that wall of hostility should be broken down. It is the work of being a peacemaker. The writer of Hebrews says that too, that we should let no root of bitterness spring up, but that we should be peacemakers. And finally, I think it's pretty obvious from the work of Scripture, from the mandate that Jesus has given us, that our final response to this text is that Jesus Christ is our peace with each other and with God is that we are to bring this good news of peace to those who are still alienated to this day, those who are still far off, because Jesus came to preach peace to those far off and those near, and He expects us to continue that. I can say that with confidence because of what Paul wrote to second, in Second Corinthians. Let me read that for you this morning, as we close. Second Corinthians chapter five, Paul wrote these words, verse sixteen: "From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh." You know what that means, right? We don't regard them with what they look like in the outside or what station of life they come from or what ethnicity they are or what practices they have. Or We regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away and behold, the new has come. All this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us. So the first part we just covered. Through Christ reconciled us to himself. But look what he says here. Working together with him, then, we appeal to you not to receive the grace of God in vain. For he says, in a favorable time, I listened to you. And in a day of salvation, I have helped you. Behold, now is the favorable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. Today, at this moment, if you are not reconciled to God, today is the day it should change. Because in Christ, we have all been made right with our creator, the one to whom we will give account. We will stand before. And when we have not received or have not come to him in the way that he has expected or asked of us through his son, Jesus Christ, then we will be rejected. And at that moment, we'll be too late. We should make, access, make use of the access we have. We should exhort others to remain at peace if they're already in the body. And we should be aware that there's people all around us all the time who are not yet at peace with God. And they need to be. We can preach peace to them. For Christ is our peace. It is not us. It is not our methods. It's not our ways. It's not what we say It is what scripture has declared to us that God has done for us through Jesus Christ. Would you pray with me this morning? Father, I thank you for this time we had together to worship you this morning and to hear from your word. I'm fully aware of the limitations of my words, but I'm also fully aware of the great power of your Holy Spirit. It is in you we trust. Scripture would say we don't trust in horses or chariots. I might say I don't trust in my persuasive arguments. I don't trust in the great points I can make. I don't trust in my speaking ability. I don't trust in any of those things. I trust in the name of my God. I trust in you in the Holy Spirit. And this morning, God, I want to allow you to just take those three responses that we just had on the screen and make them a reality for us. That is for anyone who is not at peace with God this morning, whether it has never been or has been but has removed themselves from that place of peace, of being one, of being joined with you, has separated themselves because of sinfulness, because of rejecting Jesus, I pray that even now in this moment, led by the Holy Spirit, that they might look to you and cry out to you and say, I don't want this. I've experienced pain and turmoil, disillusionment, confusion, emptiness, emptiness inside. I've felt the separation. I may not have known what it was, but I've felt the separation from you, God. But in you is life, and you've made it possible that I can be joined to you through Jesus Christ. And this morning, that is what I want. I pray too, Father, for those I know that are sitting here this morning. I don't say that I know specifically who they are, but that I know there are people here who are not at peace with other people. There's some kind of wall of division between someone, maybe a family member. And I don't want to override what you have in their life, Father. I ask that you would help them to walk faithfully to what you've called them. But I ask too this morning that we might recognize that in Jesus Christ, that wall of hostility between us has been broken down and we can be reunited. We can be reconciled just as we are reconciled with you. It comes at a cost. But help us to have humility to bear a cost, the burden of others' others wrongdoing to be reconciled. that there might be no division among those who are in Christ Jesus. And help us as a church, God, I just ask this very specifically, help us as a church to walk in wisdom that we may not be separated or divided from other followers of Jesus Christ simply because there's a few differences or whatever it might be. But give us a freedom to enjoy the peace that Christ has wrought, that's brought about in us. And once again, I say for the second week in a row, Father, that there's a, just, an, just a, an undeniable truth that there are so many yet, un, yet alienated, yet separated from you that we can be peacemakers for. That We can introduce them to the gospel of peace and encourage them, exhort them, invite them to experience the peace that comes from knowing that they are right with you. Their sin is forgiven. They can be joined to you, the creator, and joined with their fellow human beings Thank you. I give you praise. I give you the, I ask of you, in fact, not to I give you permission, but I ask of you to work out all the other things you have taught us that I didn't say or that I haven't talked about in us, that you may have your way. For you truly are God. We thank you for Jesus. We praise you. We worship you. In Jesus' name, amen.